My name is Heidi and I love stories, funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. This episode's going to be a little different from most of them because the story here is a lot less interesting without the context. And in fact, the story is completely uninteresting without the context. Because wickedness is ultimately boring. It's horrific. And it's boring. Nothing is original about sin. Because of that, we're going to focus all of our attention on the kingdom of Israel, what will later be called Samaria. And it will suffice to say that Uzziah is reigning during most of this period in Judah. A few other kings will come near the very tail end of the time period that we're covering here, but we're going to pick up with them in season four. To wrap up season three, I'm going to tell you the story of how Israel fell. The short version is that king after king after king came in Israel, and as you might have noticed, they were all bad and terrible. None of them served God. None of them did what they were told to do. None of them were good. Their names, in case you're curious, are Zechariah, Shalom, Menahem, Pekinah, Pekah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hoshea. That's it. That's all of them. They reigned in Israel. All of them did a terrible job. <laughs> There was civil war and strife and child sacrifice and worship of other gods, temple prostitution, and then the babies that were produced in that prostitution were sacrificed in fire to the gods that were not the God of Israel, who, you know, of course, didn't actually want child sacrifice or any kind of sacrifice like that. And they fell. In fact, they fell to the nation of Assyria. And as I have said before, Assyria is the worst. Assyria is terrible. You might remember from last episode when Jonah visited Nineveh, you know, Nineveh of Assyria, New York, New York, but it's Nineveh, Assyria. The Assyrians dragged off the Israelites with hooks in their mouths. They tore open the stomachs of pregnant women and they devastated what remained of the land. The city of Samaria fell and the whole nation fell. And this happened because they had abandoned the worship of God. And in fact, even after some of the exiles were allowed to return many, many decades later, they still didn't turn back to God completely. The people of Israel, which later became known as Samaria and in the New Testament refers to a similar region, did not, in fact, worship God wholeheartedly. They worshipped carved images. They worshipped items made of stone instead of just worshipping the Lord. That is the long and short of what happened. The context of what happened is that this whole time prophets were trying to stop Israel from this slow decline into utter catastrophe. These prophets were sent by God and they often had a message that was miserable to hear, a message of turn around, you're going the wrong way. However, if there's a cliff in front of you, a message of turn around, you're going the wrong way isn't such a bad thing to hear. God also would have these prophets act out sometimes his own struggle, his own desire to have Israel love him. Because you might remember from way, way back in Exodus that God had asked Israel if they wanted to pledge themselves to him, if they wanted him to be their God. Throughout the entire Bible, and in fact, this was not uncommon at this time period, the relationship God has with Israel is compared by him to a marriage relationship. You can almost think of the moment on Sinai when God asks Israel if he can be their God as the moment that a man would ask a woman, will you marry me? 
And they had said yes. And from that moment on, they had pledged themselves to God. This has to be taken seriously to understand what the prophets were going through. One of the prophets, Hosea, whose book is just absolutely fantastic, by the way, he was asked by God to marry a woman who he knew would cheat on him over and over and over. Her name was Gomer. And he married her. And every time she would leave and cheat, every time she would abandon the relationship, he would go back and pay the full bride price as though she was still a virgin daughter, as though she had never done anything wrong. He had every right under Jewish law and under Israelite law at the time to condemn her to death. And he didn't. He paid for her each and every time. And it didn't work. Israel didn't get the message that Hosea was giving them. Prophets like Isaiah and Micah, whose ministry was primarily in Judah, would also prophesy toward Israel as though like, hey, guys, we're, we're not really your bag, but like you, you got to get it together. And they didn't listen. And I think the hurt that God experienced as God, but also as this lover of this nation that could and did feel very deeply and does feel very deeply about promises and about covenants, the feeling of being dragged through the mud by this nation over and over and over again is best expressed in Ezekiel. For context, Ezekiel was prophesying much, much later. He actually prophesied after Judah fell into the same problems. But some of his prophecies applied directly to Israel. And in fact, he compares Judah and Israel. So I don't feel that it's out of touch to bring in the prophet Ezekiel here. Ezekiel is one of the wildest prophets you will encounter, and we're going to talk about him more as his time comes closer and as we get into the decline of Judah. But for the decline of Israel, I'm going to rephrase some of God's most epic, heartbroken speeches contained in Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 23. This is what God says about Judah and in many ways about Israel. You were born a bastard. You were born and thrown in the field with your umbilical cord still attached and you were bleeding out and I rescued you and I held you close and I fed you and I raised you and I took care of you as my own and I pledged myself to you when you were old enough to marry and you accepted and instead after you'd accepted me you went and sold your body to anyone who would pay, anyone with an earring or a perfume you sold yourself to. You took the children that we had together and you burned them on altars so that you could keep whoring yourself out, so that you could keep selling your soul. And after I begged you to come home, you didn't and you wouldn't and you still won't. You hoard yourself after the Egyptians, and I understood because they're handsome and they're men in blue and red. But then you hoard yourself after the Assyrians, who have dicks like a donkey and the ejaculate of horses. You hoard yourself after monsters. You followed their gods like they were me, and you didn't care. And every time, every time I told you that this wasn't fair... Every time I told you that I would forgive you and that I wanted you to come back, you would sacrifice our children on a flaming altar. What can I do now? What can I say? There's nothing left that I can do 
except for reject you as you have rejected me. If you would like to have the gods of the Assyrians, if you would like to be fucked by then, then they will fuck you and they will fuck you over because that is what it means to prostitute yourself out to gods that want your children to be killed by fire. And even so, I don't want to say goodbye. I don't want this, but you don't want me anymore. What do I have to say? I pledged myself to you, and you promised yourself to me. And if at any time you choose to turn back, if you really want to come home, not just to be let off, but if you want to be back with me, I'll still be waiting. I will always be waiting because I promised. And Isaiah, who was prophesying around the same time, was one of the first prophets to really, really start prophesying about the Messiah. You've probably heard that word before. The Messiah could be two things. Could be seen as a suffering servant, someone who does right and is hurt for it anyway. Or he could be seen as a conquering hero, a king who would rescue Israel and Judah from all of their enemies, and they would be free, and they would be free to worship God justly and rightly. And right about the time that Israel had completely given up, given up on God, given up on trying, someone starts to talk about how one day there will be justice and it will flow like a rushing river, that God will show mercy where no mercy could possibly be had. There's no easy way to wrap up the story of Israel. It was a quick slide into catastrophe with voices of prophets screaming that this was the wrong way to go and that things were a mess. It's also difficult not to see God as vindictive. Why didn't he do something to stop this? Why why did he let them go? But ultimately... Ultimately, it's still hard, and the only way that I can understand it, and this is my limited interpretation, I'm not a theologian, is that if somebody wanted to leave me, to leave me to be with someone else, and I had done everything I could to keep them with me, if I had done everything I could to be who I promised I would be to them, if they still didn't want me, what could I do but let them go? And if terrible things happened in the exact place I said terrible things would happen if they left, is it my place to stop it? What, what can I do? What can I do except for wait? And what can I do except for beg and pray and hope? And maybe, if I'm God, I can come myself right down into the middle of it and see if perhaps I can win them back as a person instead of as the spirit in the temple. Next season of Messy Scripture, we're going to turn our attention to Judah and to what happened after the exile in both Samaria and Judah. But for a while, we'll still have some kings and we'll still have some prophets. There's still some great stories left in the Bible, but it was important for me to get this episode in where the true grief of God could come through, and more importantly, that 
we see that everything that was prophesied in Deuteronomy, everything Moses ever said, everything anyone ever said, everything Joshua said, everything that's been said, every episode all the way up till here did come true because finally God had had enough and there was no wanting to come back on the part of his bride. And so what else could he do but let them live in the whorehouse they'd picked for themselves? And even after all of that, we know that God is a God who avenges the orphan and the widow. As difficult as this is, as difficult as knowing that people were eating their children in the city, that no one left unscathed, there was always going to be a remnant that had cried out to God. And that remnant would be preserved through every fire. Next season of Messy Scripture, Judah, the promise, and the glimmers of a messiah.